0: Welcome to episode 894 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette.
1: Jason, how you doing? Uh, I am doing well, considering I think I moved to Seattle this week. 72 straight hours of mid-30s and rain, and I know I shouldn't be bitching because some of you guys haven't seen a positive integer Uh, For your weather, and I've seen snow pictures. I made the mistake of tweeting out complaining the other night, and I got, you know, people were like, ha, 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 how about 15 below? How about 35 below wind chills? But this sucks. I mean, we want snow, really, but kids do. And, again, all this rain and cold weather, it sucks. But making the most of it, three-day weekend, can't complain. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's beautiful out here (laughs) in California. I think it's supposed to
0: get up to 68 degrees. Nice. Uh, this week, so almost uh, nice. Yeah, almost nice. Uh, but yeah, it's actually been really, really nice. Spent all day yesterday cleaning out my garage, which is always fun. So uh, but we have someone who is always fun. Probably the most uh, excitable person in the fantasy industry. And one of my favorite people in the fantasy industry this is John L at MLB Moving Average from FTN Sports.
2: John, welcome to the show. It was so hard for me to be quiet that whole time. No, Justin, seriously, thank you guys for having me. Real quick, I know I've told this story before. This is the most condensed version because i finally checking off my fantasy baseball bucket list here. Um, A couple years ago, I had a very serious, almost like borderline catastrophic injury, and I lost my ability to work in that field. I was told I may never run again, work with my hands again, or do a lot of things I was used to doing. And during that long and kind of tumultuous rehab process... The hardest day of the week was Monday, and every Monday, man, I look forward to seeing that sleeper and the bust pop up on my iTunes feed. I hung with you guys, and you guys were there for me every week, in and out. I know I thank you behind the scenes, but I wanted to get that out in public, man, so from the bottom of my heart, not just for having me on the show, thank you for the extra that you guys do for people. I don't know if you realize the impact that you have on some of us. Thanks again, Jay, Josh, and my man out there, big pop, a pump, Paulie Spora. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i'm glad that uh our our content is just enough to get you through because i, I would consider that a low bar <laughs>
2: no <laughs> no man, you, don't, you don't give yourself enough credit it's it's two hours a lot of times and that can be very difficult to stay engaged you guys are not just knowledgeable you're a lot of fun you guys are both very relatable justin you especially man like Birds flying, fish swimming, and Justin Mason doing good for the community. You know, those are standards, man. So I know you never take the credit that you deserve. So that's why I try and bash it in the front of episodes when I can. Because I I don't think you ever stop, man, to maybe think about, dude, the the impact that you've had. That butterfly effect, that ripple. It has touched, you've touched thousands of people. And I'm not the easiest to get to because I'm so brash and out there. But you've touched me, man, and I appreciate it.
0: Well, I appreciate the kind words. We do have some cool stuff coming up, too. In the fantasy industry, TGFBI is going to be kicking off here in a few weeks, and we've been raising money through that. Uh, I think I've already raised over $2,200 through the Satellite Leagues. Those are now closed. I'm not going to be taking any more entries at the moment for Satellite Leagues if I have extra spots here uh, as they start to fill. So I appreciate everybody who donated for that. Uh, That, like I said, raised over $2,200 uh, for uh, future urban leaders, which is a uh, Milwaukee-based uh, program that helps kids get educational opportunities that wouldn't necessarily have the ability to use them, uh, and we're going to continue to raise money for, uh, for TGFBI uh, for for them through TGFBI. Uh, we also are going to have Potapalooza in two weeks, so uh, and and John has donated something super cool. Uh, we were just talking about that, and there are going to be some other really cool things to donate. Uh, for uh, and you can get raffle tickets by donating any amount over to uh, Justin Mason Fantasy at Gmail.com through PayPal or if you uh, if we only have Venmo at Justin Salinger. Uh, and uh, every dollar that you donate gets you a raffle ticket. So if you donate five bucks, you get five raffle tickets. You donate a hundred bucks, you get a hundred raffle tickets. It's going to be a lot of cool prizes. It's going to be a two day event, Potapalooza, this year. Uh, will be streamed out on my YouTube, my Twitch, uh, my Twitter. So lots of places you can, uh, get that. And those are all Justin Mason FWFB. Uh, so yeah, two day event, seven hours each day of fantasy analysts just talking about fantasy leading right up to the start of TGFBI on Monday, March 1st. So, uh, yeah. So if if you want it, if you're in the giving mood, there's lots of ways you can give this year uh, help out uh, some different organizations. Um, we are going to talk about a lot of moves because there's been a lot of minor moves, and then we're going to open up that mailbag uh, that people commented on on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JustMasonFWFB. You can fi- follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Collette. And, of course, you can follow John on Twitter at MLB Moving MLBMovingAverages, A V G. Uh, So definitely do all of those things, and let's just jump right in and talk about some notable transactions. Justin Turner has finally figured out where he's going to play, and he's going back to L.A. He re-signs with the Dodgers. It's a two-year deal with an option for a third year. So John, what do you think about Justin Turner's value as he ends up back where we thought he probably would?
2: Well, he's an absolute beast. He ended up in a great spot again. Surrounding context is there, and Man, uh, Turner in particular was one of the guys I was not waiting to be signed to jump on at drafts. Now, granted, I wasn't going well beyond ADP, but where I kind of slipped up and let Colton Wong fall off some best ball draft boards because he hadn't signed, Turner, I was not, and he's being criminally undervalued, and I guess that'll change. He had a really good season last year, and on top of that— all the expected stats were way beyond the production, which wasn't bad. You know, I'm looking at a 460 slug with a 553X, the 153 ISO, 254, 376 wall, but a 386. The disciplinary basket is great. It's low Ks. It's high walks. All the contact is really good. The in-zone contact up near 90%. You know, the elevation basket is good. Over 44% fly ball with a 22% line drive rate. The hard hit rates are there. I don't know why this guy was not being viewed. Uh, as a a 3B1, and the last point on him is, if you look at the auction calculators, I've been using the Bat-X, Justin Turner's a top 12 3B, projecting at a $6 player right behind Yuan Mankata and in front of guys like Riley and Urshela, Baum and Donaldson, and Cabrian Hayes. So, I think with Turner signed, we're going to see the price skyrocket and him end up where he should be going around the top dozen 3Bs or so.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more. I I mean, I... We see this every offseason and every year it becomes later and later because the offseason kind of drags on later and later. But the guys who just aren't signed are kind of depressed in value because people are afraid they're not going to sign. But we knew that Justin Turner was going to end up on a team and likely back with the Dodgers. So uh, if his ADP stays anywhere close to where it is, when it's currently what 209 in NFBC draft champions since January 21st, that's an absolute steal of a price. I, I mean, obviously, you want to make sure you've got some healthy guys behind him that can come in because he does tend to miss time here and there, but Turner's a beast. Jason, what are your thoughts on Justin Turner heading back yeah, that's to that's
1: the thing. That's the thing. It's kind of surprising to see him as the 23rd third baseman off the board here over the last three weeks, as you were just saying, 209, and just looking at some of the uncertainty. Like, Andres uh, Jimenez is going about 50 picks in front of him, Chris Bryant who knows what version you're getting. That's like 70 picks. Tommy Edmonds, 75 picks. It's just really, really strange to see that. But, I mean, two things come to mind with this. And one you mentioned earlier, um, Turner does miss time. We haven't seen a full season from Turner since 2016. So you have to bake that in a little bit. And, and especially as the guy is 36 years old, uh, that problem doesn't go away. So you got to bake that into things. And then uh, I'm sorry if you're holding Edwin Rio shares. Uh, and that's you, Vlad. Uh, but without the, without the DH, it doesn't look like Universal DH is going to be there for, any, for the NL. And those of you guys that were taking Edwin Diaz early, uh, this really sucks for you.
0: Yeah, it kind of ruins the Edwin Diaz shares. I still have faith, and I know Paul and I keep arguing about whether or not the DH will be in the National League this year. I still have faith that so at least some level I, I of faith to, will I want to, but
1: at this, this late in the game... They, mean, some of these some I mean these they figured out the feel like it. But they figured damn. out
0: the whole season in like a week last year. Like it's just they they wait to the last possible moment. It's it's maddening. But yeah. I'm sure it'll get figured out. The the uh the players just want their piece of that playoff, you know, expand a playoff pie and and they're they're holding off for that. I think mm-hmm. th- I think it'll get worked out. Uh let's move on to the next move that was Jay Bruce signing it looks like a minor league deal with the Yankees. You have to think that he's going to make this team. John, I know you're a big uh, Yankee guy, and you like to hate on your own team, so yeah, hate yeah. on the Jay Bruce signing for me.
2: I hate I hate the Jay Bruce signing. Last I recall, Brett Garner was still floating out there, and if we needed a veteran that could kind of fill in and do a little bit, he feels like the guy I'd want. He's been around. He's been productive. You know, he plays a little bit of defense. I don't know what they're expecting from Bruce. We've seen a three-year slide, none of which he's been able to stay on the field, and everything's just going south. All, just everything's going in the wrong direction. He chases too much. The contact's a bit too low for me. The average is way too low for me. The floor for the average is, you know, below 200. And I, I, I just don't know. What they see here, I'd rather have Garter, I'd rather have Talkman getting at bats, I have no place in my Yankees. For Bruce, maybe they see something I don't and it's probably the short wall, right?
0: Yeah, I I'm not a big chance for this guy. This really frustrates me. Uh maybe, maybe maybe he doesn't make the team. I don't know. I, I mean he, he's gonna be a free agent if he doesn't make teams. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to sign him to a deal like this, uh, if they weren't expecting him. To make the team, maybe it it makes me a little bit more scared of kind of the the injury proneness already on this Yankee team. Maybe they know know something they're not willing to uh, share with the rest of us. Jason, what are your thoughts on Jay Bruce with the Yankees?
1: Yeah, I think the weirdness of it all is they actually brought in a new name because their entire offseason has just been securing what they've had for the most part offensively. It's the exact same lineup, and this is a, a new name. And I think it's right. I think you guys are right in fact in the fact that he's left handed and he could pop up twenty home runs if if somehow he was given the opportunity to be the the primary DH. But I agree with John and that there are there were better needs here because with the track, what the hell track record you would like to have somebody that could at least play all three outfield positions and sure Thompson can play the corners uh and maybe they're going to have to throw Tyler Wade in center field if something happens but to to me this when you look at some of the other stuff that's out there there were better options uh for them to take a stab at that to give them some coverage Uh, in the field if they needed to and like josh reddick is still sitting out there as a free agent i'd rather take josh reddick than jay bruce but maybe this is just to see if he's got anything left and they can cut him before they have to uh, in the spring training but yeah the only reason this has any interest is because of where he's going to be playing his home games
0: yep all right uh james paxton goes back to the mariners after uh spending a few years in new york this is kind of a surprise move. I really expected him to end up in Toronto, to end up with the Mets, uh, goes back to Seattle. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on and signing with the Mariners? Uh,
1: if the health is there, I mean, let's go back before before he started breaking down last year. He looked really good. And, and then the, the injury bug uh, snuck up on him again, and he just could not throw with the same velocity. I mean, in 2019, he was sitting mid-90s, and last year he was sitting 92 – I mean, topping out 92 – um that's where things were and that's a big difference on his on his fastball and the injury bug has always been there for him i mean big maple's a great guy uh, as far as when he's good, he's really good, but it, it, it's the health that keeps popping up on him, and it did again last year. I mean, he's from the Pacific Northwest, so him going back to Seattle uh, makes sense in that regard, and it's a really nice deal for Seattle uh, if he comes back out and throwing mid nineties again. But if the shoulder uh, bark starts barking again, uh, as it did last year, and he shuts down, uh, that's that's the risk you take. Talent wise, again, when he's when he's on, he is really good, but that you you just have to bake in that injury risk. You know, can only go so high with him uh, in a draft, especially in a year where we have so much uncertainty with the pitching. <laughs> John, what are your thoughts on Paxton?
2: Um, I I liked Paxton on a per game basis. Let's say when they brought him into the Yankees, I thought when he takes the hill, he'd be okay, and we'd worry about him not taking it often enough. And that's kind of how it played out. So as much as I I'd like him to be part of the staff. And I, Again, back to these Yankees kind of building this weird, I don't know what they're doing. You know, they brought in all, every injury risk pitcher. I don't know what they didn't like about Paxton, right? If you if clearly it clearly wasn't the injuries, if you're bringing in Kluber and you're bringing in Tyon, I'd probably argue Paxton this right now is better. So I, I really don't follow. I mean, last year was a little bit up and down. I know some people have seen the, the Sierra below 4 with the ERA north of 6 because the left on base rate was so low. He's always been really bad with men on base. I wonder if he struggles mechanically from the stretch. Um I actually had Eno on cork stats with me and we were talking stuff in command because Eno's new leaderboard is out and Paxton just rates terribly in both. And in fact, if you were to like combine the two together, and that's not really how Eno does it, but like, let's say you would just kind of grade them both together. He's one of the worst starting pitchers in the league. He has a sub 93 command plus and a 92 stuff plus with a very high injury rate. And when it comes to the high whip and stuff, I, I could see letting Paxton go. When I look at the surrounding talent, maybe you guys, you know, disagree, but I see Paxton going around Yarborough, where I'd rather have Eliezer Hernandez, who probably is. Exactly the same, right? Very high efficacy on a per-inning basis. I think I'd rather have Brady Singer than Paxton. So I don't think I'm going to have much Paxton on my teams, especially if signing means him moving up.
1: And I'll say, I'll back you up there. I agree that Paxton's better than both Kluber and Tyon. To me, that's where I don't get it. It's like you... The devil, you know, is usually the one you want to play with. And they had one they knew and they brought in two other ones uh, of recovering from different severities of injuries uh, and let Paxton go where it was pretty obvious what was bothering Paxton. So, yeah, I agree. That's a little bit of a trade off. And, uh, you know, as a as a rival fan in the division, I'm glad they did it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I've gotten probably all the Paxton
0: shares that I'm going to get at this point. Because I do believe his price will jump up quite a bit. Moving to Seattle, it's a better park to pitch in. It's a better division to pitch in. I mean, obviously, the injuries are a big concern because who knows what we're going to get out of them. We got 20 innings last year. Previous to that, though, we had got 150, 160 innings of, of really good work. So, and uh, if we go all the way back to 2017, you know, he put up that 136 of just elite work i think there's still some eliteness left in this arm i just worry about it holding up him moving to a six-man rotation doesn't bother me i know a lot of people will be like well seattle's running a six-man rotation well i think a lot of teams are gonna be running a six-man rotation at least to start and who knows how well each individual team's to be able to keep that up and maybe the you know the extra day off actually helps him you know stay healthy be able to command his stuff a little better i'm i'm okay with paxton at the price now I just don't know that I want to take that injury risk if he starts moving up like 30, 40 spots.
1: Yeah, right now he's the 101st <laughs> over the last three weeks. 101st yeah. pitcher up the board. I, th- I think you that's a- expect that to come up uh, about 20 spots, most likely.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fine gamble for someone who's been a top 25, top 30 pitcher before. So uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the next transaction. That's Mark Melanson signing with the Padres. Kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, it had kind of been assumed that they would... Either roll with what they had, or or sign Trevor Rosenthal back. Rosenthal's still out on the market. Melanson signs. Is he the closer now, John?
2: No, I don't think anyone is the closer, and I think the Padres are now fully embracing the whole. We don't care about your fantasy team at all because (laughs) they are stacked. They are doing what I would do if I were trying to catch the Dodgers, and it's not going to be in individual pieces, right? It's going to be with a a full foundational build and i think that's what you get there remember pomerance is very good pagan is very good milance is very good i think uh with strom maybe that opens pomerance if someone is trying to argue he's solidified in a role i would push back and just say it's tampa baby you know and i think the three of them are going to split you might get a hot hand look you may get a handedness look it's very it's very tough to predict. I wouldn't, you know, pretend to be able to do it with certainty. I think I like Melanson as like a – I don't know. I have a couple of draft champions where he's like my P9, maybe first guy off the bench because I didn't know. I think it's better for the brave guys than it was for anybody in the Padres. It's very hard to get behind him if you're me.
0: Jason, what are your thoughts on Melanson?
1: Uh, I don't like the signing because I am big on Drew Pomeranz. Like, I – I believe if Drew Pomeranz is given the job full time, he can go out there and pull a Kirby Yates and be the guy that, stri- that strikes out 100 plus and saves 40. That I mean that's how much I, I believe in it. But this the the presence of Melanson, a guy who's been there and done that, certainly clouds that prediction up. Uh, I personally never been a huge Melanson believer. I'm always surprised that he's able to get the uh, to get the results, but half the, half of the role is just getting the opportunities, and, and he's been there. I mean, if it's if we just go through stuff, Pomeranz is going to kick his ass everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, when you're talking about a guy who's featuring a cutter that the league has hit over 300 off of each of the past two seasons and his feature pitch is just the curveball, uh, which is better when you are ahead in the count. And that's what Melanson has to have is he's got to be able to get ahead so he can start getting them to expand his zone. Uh, but I'm I'm worried about the Pomeranz and Pomeranz is a guy that I've been all in throughout draft season um in targeting, but this is tempering my expectations for Pomerans because again, Melanson's been there and done that, and that's gonna buy him, but I do I do agree with John and that the Padres are going to Tampa Bay this thing and just I think uh, this stuff's gonna be spread out all over the place. But I, I say that for a lot of teams this year because uh it's just how things are gonna be working out. We know you know we've talked all offseason about how pitching is going to be shaky and you're gonna have you need to be able to piecemeal and put together the 162 games times nine innings. And you can't just say, okay, my starters have a thousand. That's not going to happen. It's like, you're probably looking at about 800 from your starters uh, and then try to get the rest of it from there. Yeah. I
0: think Melanson's going to get a shot to close at least to start the season. He's got a little bit of column A, Alex, column a in him in, in the yeah. fact that like he always just delivers. He's only got one season, since 2013 over 361 era he's a guy who just kind of gets it done in spite of having less than overpowering stuff we saw it last year where his strikeouts per nine dropped below six still got 11 saves 278 era for the for the braves last year I think he's going to be the guy, at least starting out. I think they like to use Pomeranz in that kind of role where it's just the most high leverage situation and that often doesn't even fall in the ninth. And so I think you may end up seeing Pomeranz getting more holds and then later in, you know, maybe later in the season, if Melancet falters, he gets to move into that uh, full-time closer role. But
1: I think and it could be situational dependent too because mm-hmm. they, the one thing that that team doesn't really have is a strong ground ball pitcher. Now mm-hmm. they do. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm if you're looking at some guys, of those late innings, yeah, John. how much, how, yeah, how, how much further
2: do you think he can stomach the velo on the fastball to keep you know dipping? You know, he was regularly around 94 for probably the better part of a decade, and then we started seeing kind of a half a mile at a time kind of get lopped off. And I, I worry now down near 91 and a half last year. If that if that progression keeps going to 91, I I, I wonder if. I don't know. Maybe he's a little bit long in the tooth for this. I don't know. I keep walking into the same thing where I see him in roles next to guys he's not as good as, but he gets the job and then gets it done. So I think part of that—that that kind of like uncertainty—pushes me away from him as far as draft cost. But I do see the dropping fastball and like this guy doesn't scream, you know, top end closer to be brought in. But he like Jay, like Justin said, I mean, he he slams the door all the time and gets it done.
1: Uh, the column a comp is a great one because again, we're talking about a guy that's featuring the cutter. And if you, mm-hmm. if you isolate his cutter velocity, it's pretty much steady. It's been right there at 91, 92 for the better part of the last five, six seasons. And that yeah. that incorporates the 51 and 47 save season. So the cutter hasn't suffered. In fact, he's actually been throwing a cutter harder the last couple of years than he was uh, in, in 17 and 18. So that's where the column a comp just really comes in nicely. Cause that's, what he's turned into. It's like I'm gonna throw this. And you know, yeah, the league's hit over three hundred uh the past two years off the cutter and it's not a swing and miss pitch, but he's getting the results because he's keeping it on the ground and he's right. going to a club that's got some damn good defense on the infield behind him. Yep, exactly.
0: Uh let's uh, let's move on and talk about as Drupal Cabrera signing with the Diamondbacks. I mean he's probably gonna play fairly regularly now. I think the biggest impact is it sounds like Cal Marte Moving back out to center field, which means Dalton Varsho, the guy who'd been rumored in the last couple of weeks that he might start the season of the minors. Sounds like he's definitely going to start the season of the minors. Now, Jason, what are your thoughts on this move?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't see any other way of that, how that could uh, shake out. I said, and it kind of echoes my bold prediction that I made in my NL West, I said he was going to finish outside the top 200. Uh, so that helps. Uh, <laughs> along those lines, I actually made a comp uh, for those of us who've been playing fantasy baseball a while. I couldn't shake the Robbie Hammock uh, comparison from that year, but uh, with with Cabrera, you know, he is he pr- consistent. There's there's never there's he's not going to surge anywhere, but he's going to hit hit sixth. Uh, I don't see him hitting any lower than that. Uh, but he just got a big dose of playing time. So if you if you've been taking him in the winter here and, and looking, uh, you know, this is a guy who should get a decent bump from now having a job uh, to do that. And you know, very high floor type of player, but the ceiling is is, is like a, an inch above the floor. You know what you're going to get, and there's safety in those types of players.
0: John, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think Jason really nailed it. It's consistency.
2: Even at age 35, he refuses to go away. The in-zone contact rate is awesome. It's always really good, and it's probably the key, you know, to him doing his thing. And if you kind of track that line drive rate, that's another key to his success. He's been able for, you know, people think of him as kind of light hitting, and he's not really, you know. He's been avoided being a sinkhole in batting average, and he's always kind of got it done. I think the biggest takeaway is what you circled, Justin. It's, man, I don't know if any player has had a bigger – you know, a more precipitous drop-off in draft value than Varsho right now. He went from the darling, the dual position darling who's going to rake out of the catcher spot for you to, hey, we don't know we even know when we're going to see him now. And my secondary worry is Marte to the outfield. I kind of wanted to protect him a little bit more at second. Not to say he's going to get hurt because he's in center. That's not fair for me to say. But I do think it's it's more likely... So that's my big takeaway is it kind of hurts my my hope for Marte Mm -hmm. because I wanted him at second. Uh,
1: The other thing I would add here is for draft purposes, Cabrera is only eligible for corners on draft day. Mm -hmm. So he'll be picking up that second base eligibility pretty early in the season. But if you're looking plan ahead, he's only first and third draft day. Yeah. Which is probably going to keep that ADP rather low because he does not profile well as a first or third baseman, statistically. You want those numbers better up the middle.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's going to play every day at least, you know, starting out. So, uh, I like Esdrubal Cabrera as kind of a late pick uh, guy. That I mean, his ADP is definitely going to rise from what is like 540-something. Yeah. 500s. Yeah, up into the probably bottom, you know, part of the 300s. But that's still quite a steal for a player that's that's playing every day and will have first base, third base starting out, and then second base eligibility, like Jason said. Uh, I mean, this hurts Varsho. And, you know, I wonder if, you know, I have made the comment before about the, you know, the the source I have with the Diamondbacks that have said that no one in the organization thinks Varsho is a catcher except for the general manager. Uh, And maybe the general manager thinks he needs to go back down and learn how to catch. Uh, and this is the really risky part about drafting catchers, especially in dynasty leagues, is they take a long time to develop because they want them to be able to call a good game and catch. And Varsho is just not very good at that. So he could be down there quite a while. Uh, he should be dropping quite a bit in people's ranks right now. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk our raise corner for the day. Well, actually, it's not going to be our only raise corner. Uh but uh, let's talk our, our first Rays corner for the day. That's Rich Hill signing a deal with the Rays and Colin McHugh
1: signing a deal with the Rays. So Jason, tell us should we like these moves? So I, I comp this to a, a mid-major college team. You know, if if you don't follow a lot of college baseball, they tend to have their series, their big series in the weekends, where your Friday night starters are your aces, and then they kind of, and then your mid majors have to like figure out how they're going to do the rest of the weekend. And that's how I look at how the Rays are going to handle the staff this year. Tyler Glass now is the Friday night starter. The rest of it. Who knows? I mean, they they are clearly going with a, uh, a a quantity and a variety of looks theory. And I I forget if it was uh, Alex Fast or Mike Petriello, whoever made that that graph last year that showed all the different arm angles that the Rays pitchers were using. Mm-hmm. It's like they're going for more of this. You look at the the two looks here in particular: high spin curveball hill high spin, breaking ball, and fastball for McHugh. And it goes right into the rest of we've added Chris Archer, we've added Michael Walker, And if you're like trying to project the type of workload you're going to get from any four of those guys, 100 innings. Put it at that, and then anything above that is gravy. Uh, Because that's how I see them trying to put this together is Glassnow will take the ball. and He's the only guy, when I look at this, that says, yep, that guy is not going to have an opener in front of him. But if they decide they want to do more openers, they could do it with any one of these guys or piggyback and say, OK, Hill and McHugh, you guys are going to pitch together. Hill, you got the first three. McHugh, you have the next three. And then the bullpen's got the final three. Uh, but that's the tricky part about this situation is uh, when you're drafting non now starters from this club, It's for the ratios, uh, because I see the wins uh, and saves this year being distributed all over this roster. Uh, And you've got to, as John said earlier, they don't care about your fantasy team. They care about results. And ultimately, that's where I see things heading this year. So reliever wise, you could find some bargains. But for fantasy purposes, the addition of Rich Hill and Colin McHugh, depending on how they're going to be used, I think McHugh is going to have more fantasy value because I see him as the next guy in. Mm-hmm. And we recall in 2019 when Ryan Yarbrough made a lot of those wins uh, coming in as the bolt guy. Uh, even Colin Pochet came up and had five wins and two saves and 50 innings of work as that guy that came in after the the bolt guy uh, came through. That's the role I see McHugh going in for, and so th- I, there's more fantasy value there. Now th- maybe they. Maybe they change and they use Rich Hill in that kind of capacity. Uh, but whichever one of these guys gets becomes that guy, that's the guy that's going to have value.
0: John, what are your thoughts?
1: Uh,
2: I don't, I, I don't know what they're doing. I, I, if there's one team I try not to doubt, it's the Rays. You know, generally when they make a move, I try and figure out what I missed when they go sniffing around the player. I think Jason really nailed McHugh. You know, and again, injury is a concern. Speaking of injury being concerned, that's like Rich Hill's thing. My problem with Rich Hill is he's been carrying this narrative of, well, whenever we get him, he's extremely effective. I think I might push back on that. And last year, I'm not sure he was. I think the surface stats and what happened underneath are telling two totally different stories. First, I would highlight he's one of Eno's top stuff guy in the entire league. And he also leads the league in injury risk, which I think that part makes sense. So, you know, we saw on the surface 303 ERA, 116 whip, which, of course, I like. But the Sierra was north of five. 295 OVP. Wow. The XOVP was 342. That Those expect, expected um, disparities really carried all the way through his entire stat line. You know, a 307 slug, which puts you in the top, like, 15th percentile, was 451 X, 272 Woba, 331 X, you know, so he was getting hit really hard. This kind of goes to something I've been talking about on my own podcast with people a lot smarter than me, like Russell Carlton and Derek Hardy. You know, trying to get to the the crux of a pitcher's control over quality of contact. And Rich Hill excelled on the surface, like I said, last year, but... Man, I, I don't like what's under the hood. You know, the walk rate in the double digits is no good. He has one of the worst true first strike rates in the league. The swinging strike rate is entirely too low. So I, I just don't even see that as a guy, you know, if I'm going to take the injured guy that I'm looking for impact from, I don't even know if it's Hill. If I have an arm for the Rays, Jason, stop me if I'm crazy. I like Josh Fleming. And for these best ball or draft and whole leagues where you're kind of committed for the six months, which to me totally makes Rich Hill unappealable, even unpalatable. Uh, F- Fleming is a guy I think that cream will rise to the top
1: throughout the season. Yeah, he's going to be another guy that's going to be in the mix because of his ability. He's all sinker slider, uh, and as long as you don't try to overexpose him, you know he can do a good job going through the going through the lineup once and a half, maybe twice, uh, type of thing. And so he's just a, again another one of those looks. Uh, I would say another guy to keep an eye on with this um, as the season goes on, especially in draft and hold, is Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan is not somebody that is even showing up in a lot of ADP. I mean, he's down in the 750s, like even the deepest of leagues are the ones that are touching Joe Ryan. Uh, but I mentioned Poche in 2019, how he came up and got wins and saves in just 50 innings very similar type joe ryan uh, throws his fastball 70 plus percent of the time he'd led the minor leagues in 2019 in strikeout rate and strikeout minus walk rate uh eno wrote about him the other day called it the invisible the way he throws his fastball because he leans on it so much and he still is able to get swings and misses even though the the minor league hitters know that fastball is coming um, much like poche but Pochet threw his fastball like 88 to 90 percent of the time he got in trouble at the major leagues because as great as the fastball could spin, uh, if he missed with it, it was getting crushed. Uh, and so he gave up a lot of home runs. At least Ryan has pitched as a starting pitcher, whereas Pochet was a, a reliever throughout. Uh, and so Ryan has got a bit of a deeper repertoire, but the fastball was clearly the best pitch, and that's why he throws it as much as he does. Uh, and so that's the other name I would keep in the mix here because I see Ryan as somebody who's not going to be drafted on draft day uh, or maybe going deep in the reserves, um, but he will be be a factor this year because you know, the way this you know, the team, uh, their pitching depth got exposed last year and they had to just find guys off the waiver wire and different uh, guys out of alternative camp for this. But all these guys they've signed, you you know, with Hill, with McHugh, Archer coming back off uh, TJ, uh, not TJ, but Thoracic Outlet, uh, Michael Waka, you know, none of these guys are going to give you the, I'll be surprised if any of them give them 120 innings. Just surprised. I'm really anchoring at 100. You look at the projections on roster resource uh, 161 for Glassnell, 113 for uh, Hill, 140 for Archer, 161 for Yarbrough, 122 for Waka. I'd take the under on just about all five of those.
0: All right. Uh, before we move on, I totally forgot uh, to give John a chance to kind of plug his work and his podcast. So, John, do that now so that way people, if they click off early at the end, they don't miss it all.
2: Thank you so, so much, Uh, Justin. I am at the FTN Network. Right now it's on ftnfantasy.com, and it's all free. And like Mama used to say, if it's free, it's for me. Check out the work I'm doing. I'm going position by position. It's been, man, like a 3,000-word article on the top tiers, and I kind of kick it over to my podcast, which is called Corked Stats. And then I kind of go through you know, a little more nuance and some advanced stats through the, the deepers those sleepers the adp creepers as i like to say and also besides that i kind of have been bringing in guests to kind of do these master classes to answer questions as the fantasy baseball industry continues to kind of push forward i had paul Mamino on to talk about earn run indicators i mentioned having russell carlton pizza cutter on to talk about stabilization i had derek cardi on to talk about projections i had eno on to talk about command and control so aside from player analysis i'm also trying to do These kind of theoreticals where there's uh, more of a philosophical methodology being applied. It's less, you know, the numbers and batting averages as how we use these things and how the industry as a whole digest and applies it. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. And anytime at at MLB Moving Averages, um, any day of the week, any time of that day, I don't sleep much. And uh, I love to talk about baseball. Those two things. Should be pretty good for you if you need help. So, Justin, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the, these last five signings. These are all kind of minor moves. Uh, some we'll care about, some we won't. And so I'm going to ask you guys, uh, do we care about Jake Arietta signing with the Cubs there, John?
2: Uh, I only care because I know I'll be betting against him on a regular basis. But uh, aside from that, uh, no. Uh, that train has left the station for me i guess because we are talking drafting old best balls during this time of year i guess if you're desperate for ip later on he's a guy you can get beyond that 700th pick but you know that's right about where i value my i think it's over for him
0: all right jason any thoughts on arietta
1: Uh, the only guy, no, I I had no thought. I was trying to make a Greg, I was trying to make a Gregor Blanco joke for Justin, but I can't. Those have already come out this week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Jason, do you care that Martin Perez has re-signed with the Red Sox? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I care about that because that means the Rays will have some good hitting a a few times. (laughs) No, I, uh, I honestly don't care about Martin Perez re-signing there. Uh, John, do you care?
2: Uh no, not really. Although I was interested to see he's a, among the league leaders in Command Plus mm-hmm. from Eno. And again, you know, no single stat can kinda of stand alone. Uh, we saw some good contact metrics. Three forty expected Wobalcon was pretty good, but the walk rate right to the K is not any good. He gets ahead of guys, which I like, and he limits exit velocity or fly balls Is below ninety-two, which is always good. May even help him a little bit more if they're gonna deaden the ball a bit. But yeah, that that entire Red Sox rotation is really bad, and I, I don't think I'm gonna. I don't, I don't think I'm gonna own anybody in that. I think I might have a couple shares of. of I'm gonna say this wrong, Hoke or Hauk. But aside from that, that's really an upside play. I'm, I'm off the rotation in general.
0: Well, and I think they just said too that he may that uh, Tanner Hawk may not start in the rotation this year.
2: Well, base. give it a month because someone is going to completely yeah. load so bad.
0: <laughs> that, that may be why they said he won't start there. But, yeah, he should be there in short order because yeah. that rotation is garbage. I, I don't care either. Uh, here's one that I care a little bit about. Nomar Mazara signs with the Tigers. John, what are your thoughts?
2: I've never been the guy. I've never been the Nomar guy. I always seem to be, be like behind the curve on him. But then he gets hurt before I have to pay the price for being slow. So I think I'm going to continue with my ignorance and hopefully it'll continue to pay the bills because I know the talent is there. But until it's realized, there always seems to be someone who likes him more than I do.
0: Jason, do you like him more than John does?
2: <laughs> he is the oldest
1: 26-year-old in baseball. <laughs> yes! That's yeah! the crazy thing about Nomar Rosario. It blows my mind that he is not he's not, even, he's not even 26. That's the thing. He turns 26 at the end of April. So he's not even 26, but he feels like he's been in the league forever. And maybe that's part of the problem. And if he's going to recover somewhere, Detroit's it. I mean, I think we talked about this last week uh, with them re-signing Jonathan Scope and how they took CJ Krohn last year and how they've added Wilson Ramos. It's like, we will take whatever you can give us and give it a chance. And when you look there, it's like, okay, and we know he can't hit lefty. So there's only so much ceiling to him um, with that, but... You know, the other thing you have to look at is Mazzara is going to have to play in the field, too. And that's never been a great thing for him uh, because Miguel Cabrera is absolutely the full time DH there. Uh, so that's where it, it can get kind of suspect. But that's what I had to double check to make sure that wasn't a print error, that Nomar Mazzara is still not yet 26 years old. So it's tough to write it off. I have a modicum of interest, uh, obviously in an AL format. Uh, with that, because of his track record of being able to hit for home runs. But in, in a Detroit situation, there is a, um, you know, they can turn and burn and say, okay, never mind. Victor Reyes, you get the playing time back and go from there.
2: Yeah. Guys, Justin, let me, let me ask real quick, um, because I think this will be helpful for people as they do their own research. And, you know, everyone kind of has a different approach to coming off the weird 2020. So we know Mazzara always was near the top, if not like. Top five in max EV, something we're finding to be very predictive of power output in the future. 2020, I don't want to ding him too hard because only 92 at ball events and, you know, it was limited sample. But it was the first time we didn't see an elite max EV from him at all. Do you think it says anything, or is that easier for you to just kind of look past?
0: I think you just kind of look past it. I mean, he he's still super young, you know. Uh, I want to say he dealt with an injury last year as well. I mean, he, he, we're talking about, what, 92 batted balls? Like, it, it's, yeah. just, it's just not a big enough sample for me to yeah. worry too much about. So, I, I I still have a little bit of believe that if Mazar was given full run, he could develop into a little bit of what we thought he was going to be, which was a guy who could hit, you know, 30 home runs with a decent batting average. Um, I don't know if he's going to get that full run. The problem is I think a lot of teams have felt the same way as Jason is that this guy can't hit lefties. And so he's a platoon player. I don't know that we've given him enough chance to actually, uh, earn that reputation and i don't know if that he will get enough chance to earn that reputation for sure but can't,
1: can't hit lefties can't play defense i mean this is a good example if they had if the universal dh was already in play he may have found a job somewhere else uh, you know pittsburgh you know, god knows any of one of us could probably play in pittsburgh you but would know, there would be an opportunity Champions? for him to do that
2: Funny, he, he hit 333 versus lefties Just last year, guys, and 26 plate
1: appearances. He's a a lefty basher. He's a monster. (laughs) I said that. I'm sure Russell's like, oh, my God.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I knew. Right, he's instantly regretting coming on now. I see see the career numbers. It's pretty brutal. You know, 600 plate appearances is a full season, only 236. But it was 15 bombs, 21 doubles. I mean – it was not the worst you know in the 74 ribs not the worst it wasn't it's not totally unproductive right if i told you a guy goes 236 off uh, 15 and 2 74 and 54 you know it's not somebody you're banging down the door for but i don't know for the weak side of a split for me i would think i'm going to give him a chance particularly with how you guys framed it very well the age is in place. The power potential is in place, and if opportunity is
1: the missing piece, I would say let's fill that and see what he's got. Yeah, you know, I'll guarantee that he's going to go for positive dollar value and tout and labor in the next few weeks. Yeah, probably. Or he's probably going to be a reserve pick, and now he's going to go for a positive dollar value.
0: Well, I mean, he should play. I mean, I don't know. Well, we'll see. I, I mean, vi- people were really stoked on Victor Reyes, so it's kind of. Uh, disheartening to see him projected to be the short side of the platoon there, but we'll we'll see. Uh, let's finish off with these last two moves that are easily going to be quick. Brad Miller signs with the Phillies. John, do we care?
1: No, I don't care.
0: Jason, do you care?
1: I do. Oh, I like I like the lefty power uh, in Philly. Uh, now again, if if the DH doesn't come into play, I don't like it as much because Brad Miller can't field. Uh, but if they if they pull a late, okay, fine, we'll give them the DH. I actually like this move uh, a decent amount. All right. Uh, and then uh, Marwin Gonzalez signs a
0: deal with the Red Sox, furthering putting uh, the dirt over the coffin that was Michael Chavez. Uh, Jason, do we care about <laughs> Marwin Gonzalez in Boston?
1: Yes, because it's an upgrade to Michael Chavis, and I love when Michael Chavis has that bats in a lineup. Uh, you know, at least now with, with Gonzalez, they can move him around at, at different places, so it gives them a better. I mean, last year, oh God, who was the Rule Five pick that I liked? Uh, um, drawing the blank on the Rule Five guy, the infield that had to play enough third base last year. Uh, skinny guy hit for uh, Jonathan uh, Jonathan Reyes, that guy. Mm. Uh, you know, so you know he'll he'll go back down. He had to stay up as a Rule Five guy last year. So, but, but Gonzalez has just look looks so lost um, with the Twins, and I don't know. Uh, I still this is not a guy I see going for positive dollar value in an AL only league. He's going to go high in the reserves because of his positional flexibility. But I'm not. I, I'm only more excited, or I'm more depressed because uh, it's an upgrade from Michael Chavis, yeah. I just love watching him butcher in the field.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the only real positive takeaway and the only reason he's going inside the top 500 Gonzalez, is is because he's eligible at first, second, third, and outfield in yep. FBC League. So, John, uh, what are your thoughts on Marwin?
2: Yeah, his appeal is in the eligibility particularly in draft and holds. If we're talking about a fab league, I- I'm not touching him. I have no interest whatsoever. These numbers scream at me, just a guy, you know, 245, 13-1, 45 and 49 or whatever is just a guy that's pretty much replacing value. I'm a little stung because I was hoping Chavis would get a little run, you know, again, for these deeper leagues. I'm talking about best balls and draft and holds. Um, best ball particularly, you're looking for very strong weeks. A guy like Chavis can run hot, hit you some ding-dongs, and maybe score you for a couple of weeks. But other than that, man, we I, it's amazing how far the Red Sox have fallen. But, yeah, I have no interest in, in Gonzalez. If he's not – you know just an eligibility kind of stopgap for me it's
1: very easy to look past and here's a, a path forward a potential path forward for him because i'm very sour on bobby Dalbeck at first base if oh, if he if sick. he flames out if if he has the if the strikeout issues it just won't go away Gonzalez, there's a path forward for Gonzalez where it costs you nothing on draft day and if Dalbeck is just uh, looks overmatched then Gonzalez could because there's really no other good first base option on there. Hunter Renfro has worn the first base glove, but Gonzalez could end up playing some first base and you could get some playing time out of a out of a throwaway pick late in the draft.
2: But I like Bobby Dalback.
1: I don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on into our mailbag. And uh, answer some questions that we got from Twitter. Uh, Very soon we will be taking these uh, questions from the Discord, which you can sign up for uh, by uh, signing up for our Patreon. So go over to Patreon, Sleeper in the Bus, or The Sleeper in the Bus, uh, and uh, sign up for that. We're going to have some cool stuff going on there. Uh, And uh, then uh, your questions will be from uh, your mailbag questions will be from uh, that spot and not from Twitter anymore. But until then, Let's talk about some of these Twitter mailbag questions. Uh, The first one we got was for draft and hold formats in the later rounds, are you looking for upside, uh, i.e. uh, Casey Mize or Mackenzie Gore, or for guys who might have a role uh, picking up innings pitched or at bats later on, like for the example he gave was like the Jose Quintana types. So, John, I'll let you start with this one.
2: All right. I'm I'm loving this because this is something I'm, I'm firmly entrenched in these, um, you know, l- no in-season management or low in-season management, best ball and draft and I do as many as anybody. So I think you have to do a couple to put this question in more perspective. And what I mean is when you begin to do these drafts, the first thing, the first dose of reality that's going to just smash you like a wrecking ball is pitching – the perception of innings pitched is pushing people three, four, five, six, seven rounds before you may have planned on it. So when you are thinking about, like, Mize or Gore, you still may only be up to your sixth or seventh pitching spot. If you're going to be filling your sixth or seventh pitching spot with guys who may not pitch, and I know the Gore fans hate to hear it, but the Padres just brought in a ton of arms if they somehow managed to stay healthy – you're not really going to see gore, at least in the role that you wanted. So then to get to the other question, I mean, I hate to be like an English teacher. I have my red marker. I'm kind of no, 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 no. There's no good. There's no good. But even to Jose Quintana, you don't want to get quite there because – yeah, there may be the hope for innings pitched, but then we have to get the calculator out for the quality of those innings. I'm looking at the ADP right now. I had Mackenzie Gore up. Let's talk surrounding pitchers because, right, none of these things happen in a vacuum. You have to have a decision to make. Surrounding Mackenzie Gore, I see Brad Keller. I mean, you want to talk about innings reliability, I think – he gets the check mark there, right? If that mm-hmm. is Josh Lindblom, I actually did a best ball bargain thread on him. Lindblom had a bit of an injury, and after that, they put him in the bullpen. He had a couple of clean outings, and then when he started after that, he was awesome. So mm-hmm. give me Lindblom over Gore and the hope also. So I think bef- my answer is in a million words or less. It's, I want reliability, but it's not just anybody. we got to kind of get a little bit more granular. You know, I might even take a stab with Simeone's boy, Mike Lorenzen, there, or Spencer Turnbull, guys that have been on the mound and given us something, because, again, this is not your bench that we're talking about, Justin. This is a guy you have to start, and you can't start a guy if he's playing for the, you know, Tuscaloosa Mud
1: Dogs or whatever. (laughs) Jason, what are your thoughts? Uh, so, off the bat, I don't do best ball. Uh, so, I can, I am the worst person to advise, but I have done some draft champions. And for me, like the late, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the multi positional dudes. I, I want to be able to move some, some guys around. But then, as John said, looking for guys I can bank on. Whereas with Gore, like you're th- trying to think, oh, he could be great for 80, but you mentioned Keller. And if he throws 150, maybe I have him uh, going for the right. 80, you know, bench in one week, uh, different depending on matchups. So I'm always looking for those types of guys uh, when I've done that late and I've had some really nice uh, picks late in drafts that ended up working out a lot better than some of the ones I took on my active roster uh, with that. But I think with the way we're looking at pitching, as John said, you know, some of this, some of the higher end pitchers are being shoved way up. And then we have to figure out where, you know, again, the old rule of thumb was uh, starting Baseball teams wanted 90 to 1,000 innings from their starting pitchers. That's not happening anymore. So these innings are getting distributed around the staff, and it's your job to figure out, okay, where may they go? Who's going to um, elevate into a situation? Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity out there, but at the same time, you got to le- level set that. So if you're looking at three pitchers over the course of six rounds, Take two that you can count on and take a chance on one guy uh, rather than taking a chance on all three guys. And then you're ended up you're ended up running with a dead spot uh, Mm -hmm. when you uh, when your depth gets exposed.
0: Yeah. And that's the problem is you in these draft and old leagues, you cannot take a zero if you want to compete for your league or even uh, especially if you want to compete for the overall. It's just impossible. And, you know, the thing I've run into uh, in drafts in the past is. If you take too many shots on these guys that aren't going to be in the majors, uh, you could find yourself, if you go through a rash of injuries, you know, during over the course of a month, that you don't have the ability to fill those spots. And if you take a zero, you might as well kiss it goodbye for the overall, uh, but even for your league as well. So for me, it's you want to take a shot here and there on, uh, on guys that maybe have, you know, extreme upside, but maybe won't be in the majors for the first half of the season. But ultimately, yeah you want guys who are gonna play and that's why these guys like uh, Adam Frazier and uh, Nico Horner, while they may not be a sexy pick in your traditional leagues, they end up playing every day and those you know your team accumulates the stats you need to stay competitive uh in kind of those down swings or injury prone times so.
1: And I would say to circle it back uh, to this guy's question uh, in particular because he mentioned Jose Quintana, and you look at context, great reference point here with Quintana because you know he's at pick he's at four eighty, but then you've got um, Josh Fleming, who John mentioned earlier, he likes and he's at four eighty seven, and then you have Luis Patino at four eighty three. So it's like okay, you've got a, a very known quantity in Quintana, uh, somebody that we've at least seen pitch at the major league level for more than five innings and Josh Fleming. And then you have Luis Patino by pure stuff, just smokes all the Mm -hmm. smokes, uh, the other two guys, but which one in contact on your team, which one can you afford to take at that point? At least with Fleming, you figure he is going to get the ball every fifth or sixth day. uh, Cantana the same thing in a six man rotation, Patino. I mean, what are the rays infamous for stalling playing time? Uh, Maybe we don't even see Patino until middle of June. Who knows? Uh, and then how much are they going to let him work this season? So that's where you have to try to play that into, take that into consideration.
0: You really want to mitigate your injury risk and your playing time risk in these leagues. And I think a lot of people see, well, I've got a 50 man roster. Those 50 man rosters become a lot more thin as the season wears on, because it's not like you can pick people up off the waiver wire that you know, are going to be healthy. You have to pick from your own roster. And if they're not healthy or not in the majors, you you're, you're kind of screwed. Yeah.
1: I want to say last year in the in the DC I, I the one I, I did two of them but one of them I want to say I did like a 26 24 split between hitting and pitching cuz I was that worried about pitching.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh let's uh let's talk about the next one. Uh this is one it came for our, our good buddy Mike Curland. It was so such a good question he had to write it twice um on Twitter. So, who is one guy you were trying to leave Within every draft there, Jason? Uh,
1: I haven't done a lot of drafts, but I can tell you, and, and John won't like this, Um I really want Gio Urshela on a lot of my teams this year. Oh, uh, I love that, baby! Woo! <laughs> I have, if Gio Urshela right now is around 160, bold prediction I put up this week at Rotowire, I have him as a top 100 player. Uh, I just... Uh, I'm a big believer in the bat. You look at, and yeah, he's going to be hitting down the lineup, but that lineup is very heavy. He's still got an opportunity to produce. It's like, that's the guy that I want because we're, even right now, I feel like he's being undervalued. That may change as we get closer to the season because people are a little worried about the uh, the bone spur uh, removal surgery he had in his throwing arm. Uh, in the off season and he may not be ready, uh, start of spring training. He's still going to be like, if he was a football quarterback, he'd be wearing the yellow Jersey. Uh, so he may be a little bit disrupted, but you look at what he's been able to do uh, as a Yankee and the growth at the plate. Considering he was an absolute glove-first guy coming up out of the Cleveland organization, uh, I am just very impressed with what I've been what I've seen. As like, okay, I'm now all in on this guy. I have to stop hating him because the Yankees took somebody else's cast away and turned <laughs> him into something awesome, and just and just ride the awesome out here.
0: John, what's one guy you are trying to leave uh, with in every draft?
2: Well, I don't know how to do anything in ones. Um, especially as a volume player, you know, you have these massive leagues and I do so many of them, uh the the answer kinda is nuanced. So I would want to lead with one, I'm very careful to never have a player on every team Mm -hmm. at the front end of drafts. So I always kind of looking at it as a pyramid, meaning up top I want, you know, the least amount of risk, but the most amount of diversity. Because as much I love Juan Soto, like I think he's the next greatest player ever, but mm-hmm. I don't want him on every single team because if he twisted an ankle, then he could suck down all thirty teams with him. Mm-hmm. You know. So that being said, I got a pitcher and a hitter in really deep ones, and then in more like regular non-degenerate drafts. So in the very deep leagues, I have Kyle Wright everywhere. Um, he finished really strong for the Braves. I think he went out with, and he was one of the worst pitchers in the major leagues. Through the first, like, five starts. he was just terrible. He couldn't get the home runs under control. He had two starts with at least two bombs. He closed out with three quality starts, and he was looking really good. You're getting him all the way back, like, pick 550, 600. Again, with the promise of innings pitched, he looks like he's entrenched with the role. So give me a bit of Kyle Wright. On offense, the player I like really deep is uh, Tyler O'Neill. I think there's a spot in the outfield. I think he can do it with power and speed, really produce, and we've seen his arms, enough said. For the regular (laughs) drafters, like the regular people that are not like me, up at 2 a.m., balancing multiple drafts, I have a lot of Nick Solak, and it's funny, Justin, this may be another conversation for the day, but it goes to our conversation about positional depth, and I felt second base is not very deep, so... I can't get down with the high premium prices. So I find Solak fits a lot of my builds, you know, where he's gonna give you the average, the runs, and the steals that are harder to find. So he's been a package I like. And then the last pitcher I like in regular drafts. I try and always come down with a little bit of Justice Sheffield. Um I've been tracking him from his days as a Yankee, and he looks really reliable out there. He gives you distance. I think he's a good candidate for a top 20 finish in innings pitched, you know, which I don't think is, it feels good to me. Like, I would take that bet. So those are guys that I'm making sure for different reasons and in different formats that I'm coming down with.
1: All right. It's funny with all the lefty pitching they're going to have in Seattle between Kikuchi and Paxton and Sheffield, and then I read a note today that uh, Matt Moore, if he makes the rotation with the Phillies, will be their first left-handed starter since Cole Hamels left the organization. Wow! It's like, you know, talk about that. Tent and and how things are going, but uh, yeah, and I I'd really love the Solek. um Solak. he was a guy that last year I was end up getting a, a lot uh, with him uh, and. Now they're talking about him hitting in the middle of that lineup too, right behind Joey Gallo. Yay.
0: Yeah, uh, you and I actually had a discussion about like uh, uh, second base and its depth because uh, you, you like you said, you you don't think second base is super deep, and I actually think it's one of the deeper infield positions, but this is also like context on your league too, right? Uh, John and I play in a lot of deeper leagues, but if you're playing in shallower leagues, like the, the level of second baseman's dropped off, a lot quicker. But it actually goes a lot deeper. If you go and look up my ranks on Fangraphs, it's pretty easy to see like, okay, you can rank 52nd baseman. Try ranking 53rd baseman. Like, That becomes a lot more difficult of guys who are actually going to play. Uh, but it, it, it's it's definitely very league dependent. Um, here's some, you know, I don't... like. Uh, even though people will be like, oh, Justin is a Nick Mullins guy. Justin is... Or, sorry, a Cedric Mullins guy. Um, that ball had <laughs> foul, a little football in <laughs> my mind right there, if, uh, weirdly enough. Uh, Justin's a Cedric Mullins guy. Justin's a this, you know, Andrew Heaney guy. And, yes, I do have lots of Cedric Mullins. I do have lots of Andrew Heaney on my teams. I There isn't a guy that I'm making sure I'm necessarily leaving with in every draft. The, I just have guys that I've ranked or I value above where the market is. And so a lot of these guys end up on my team. Uh, but I don't enter a draft uh, thinking, well, I have to leave with this guy or I have to leave with that guy. For me, it's about extracting the most amount of value I can at every spot and making sure I'm filling every need uh, from a stat category perspective. Uh, I mean, guys, I do have, um, you know, a lot of uh, shares of, you know, I've got my NFBC shares chart up, with the ten NFBC teams I've drafted, so it doesn't include like fan tracks, best balls and things like that that I've done, or it doesn't it also doesn't include the three drafts I'm currently in right now. But I've got Cedric Mullins in nine of my ten leagues. I've got Brandon Nimmo in seven of my ten leagues. Andrew Heaney, Griffin Canning in six of my ten leagues. Uh, Castellanos, Frankie Montas, Mitch Keller, or uh, got you know a bunch of the guys that are Anthony Bass, Manny Margot. Hunter Harvey uh, guys I've got in, in half of my league so far, but I don't have like, I know there are people who go into certain drafts, certain auctions and like, I'm going to get this guy. And I I feel like that pigeon holds you into making bad decisions. Um, And so I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people that says, you know, this guy's going to end up on my team.
1: Or if you are, you better do it early. I mean, I, I I see the mistake of some folks like, oh, I want this guy. And I'm going to wait to see if his price falls. Ah, if you want the guys like yeah. part, especially auction, throw them out. Yeah. If you're willing to pay twenty eight, if you're like, okay, I've got him. Uh, I you know, I in my values, I've got him as a twenty eight dollar player. Throw them out. Yeah, and throw them out. Yeah, you know, and that, don't do this a one dollar crap you know <laughs> throw them out at 25 and let's see let's see where the room goes uh and with that if you get them a 28 great you got your guy you got what you paid for him uh but don't sit because if you then it gets down to there's three teams at the same beat everybody's looking at it, good oh man i need power and all of a sudden that 28 guy is going to go for 35 and you may think oh whatever that's 20 percent inflation right there you know that's seven bucks you could have used elsewhere in your roster if you if you are going to target guys, and I agree with you, it's not a great practice to say I got to have this guy, got to have this guy. Then get it out of the way early so you can know how the rest of your drafts going to plan. Uh, plan out,
0: play out. Completely agree. Uh, let's see. Our next one is um, this one's going to probably be for more for uh, John and I than Jason because Jason said he doesn't play uh, a lot of best ball. So what's the difference between best ball and regular leagues? In particular, the importance of starting pitching there,
2: John. The major difference is the handling of the bench, which you mentioned earlier, Jason, and did a pretty good job with. But just to kind of reiterate, you don't get to add in season. So let's start with a regular league. You fill in your starting lineup with the best players possible. And then you. Fi- I personally fill in my bench with the biggest ceilings possible because – You could drop them and churn them and, you know, look for the 40 saves, look for the 40 home runs, look for the big prospect maybe and see if they get the early call. And then if not, boom, you could just get rid of them. Where basketball, the commitment is for a full season and you have to make that part of the formula where you start dinging guys for injuries, playing times, call-ups and rookies and stuff like that. And then a little more nuance is people read the rules mm-hmm. the different the different games have different rules okay fantrax is 40 rounds single position eligibility and a standard point system so starting pitchers are the biggest earners they go really really fast And at only 40 rounds, man, it feels like there are not enough spots for players. So in that format particularly, for me, it's no prospects. It's no hold, guys. It's no relievers at all because I don't think they're going to make it to the finish line with a full roster. Quickly, NFBC, Zola and a couple of the boys in the mathematics laboratory came up with, you know, kind of like a translation for points to try and emulate 5x5 Roto. I don't know how good of a job they did. I kind of approached him on it, and I didn't get the answer I was looking for. Big Z, godfather out there, you know, by all means, come and yell at me. But I was asking him, how can we say that there's parity in the scoring if, for last season, just in 2020, 25 of the top 26 scorers were all hitters. The one pitcher was Bieber, and it took a epic, historical short season to even get him there. So my first NFBC best ball, I'm like, oh my gosh, man, look at all these pitchers I got. I got, you know, every new name, it. it's Maeda, and Pleaseak and Valdez, and Bundy, all in the same squad. Guys you'd never think you'd be able to get all together. Yeah, it's because everyone else was drafting the good Mm -hmm. hitters when I wasn't because I didn't read the rules. So Mm -hmm. I know it's a lot to unpack there, but everyone's in such a rush to get their money on the poker table, you know, to get their money in the arena, that sometimes I don't think they find out how to push and pull on the rules to kind of maximize that.
0: Yeah, I, I think when you're playing best ball, it's all about knowing your format. And this is something I harp on all the time with just about any fantasy game, but particularly with best ball, because it's really hard to figure out, you know, when you've got, you know, negative points for this, positive points for that. And they're so different, especially if we're talking about, you know, mainly fan tracks versus um, uh, NFBC. It's a, it's a much different scoring system. And so what I often recommend to people is, Start by going over to the auction calculator on fan graphs and running your favorite projection system, whether that be ATC or the bat or steamer, uh, you know, run the point value system through that or through your draft software. If you use draft software like rotor lab or, or the rotor draft software and just see where everybody comes out, you know, and this can be said for points leagues as well, because the hard part about points leagues is everybody's draft is different. Everybody's home league is different. Everybody's using a different system. And so it's really hard for analysts to come up with rankings or even offer like really good fantasy advice on individual points leagues because they're all differently scored. So go over to some sort of software, like I said, whether it be a fan graphs on the auction calculator or, or, or a different draft software, run that through it. And then kind of you can move guys up and down your own personal ranks. Based on how you like people. So, if you got two guys that are kind of close in value, so for let's say, I don't know, like Donovan Solano and Paul DeYoung, like you really like Paul DeYoung, they end up grading out close to being similar. Well, you just push Paul DeYoung up a little bit or take him a little bit earlier in your draft. But uh, I'm not smart enough to do that kind of thing on my own, and so I let some a program do the work for me, and then I kind of mess around with my own personal ranks uh, or draft uh, you know sheet uh, you know on my own. But I, I think you just really have to know your rules because I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in one of those fan tracks best balls where people are just loading up on offense early, and that's a really bad strategy for that format. And on the flip side, like John mentioned, if you use it, if you're playing like the cut line or one of the NFBC basketballs, it's, it's going to be a little bit more hitter uh, friendly and actually catcher friendly uh, than it is over on fan So know your rules, know, know the format. Um, all right, back to Ray's corner a little bit. Someone asked, "What are our thoughts on Wander Franco, Jason, go ahead.
1: And what did I admonish you for for your top 50 shortstop second baseman rankings the other day? <laughs> uh,
0: that I didn't have a certain guy on there.
1: That's right. You didn't have Taylor Walls in there. Uh, and this is where, and, and Taylor Walls, when you look at, go read about him, go pull up his fangraphs page, go look at the stats, uh, see what he's done in the minor leagues, read the report that Eric Long and hanging has thrown together on him. Uh, and. Try not to be excited about what Taylor Walls could do this season. I mean, yes, Wander Franco is the best prospect in baseball, uh, but again, what are the Rays infamous for? Stalling playing time. I would be stunned if Wander Franco was on the roster before Memorial Day. Uh, whereas Taylor Walls is somebody who can play three different infield positions. Uh, the team has always had a like, uh, this, you know, the the Ben Zobras, the Sean Rodriguez, the Logan Forsythe. The you know the current Joey Wendell you know the different types of guys they can move around Walls fits that profile. does not hit with power, but hits for average. Gets on base and can run, uh, and plays really good defense. Things that this club values. So for me, I'll, let all the focus go on Franco. Let people take him high. Taylor Walls is just really sitting out there, like draft champions leagues, late picks. It's like these are the types of picks you pick them up with no projected playing time and he ends up coming up and getting playing time. Uh so your deeper, deeper, deeper league formats. I'm more interested in that, but let's let's be real. This club has got a tremendous track record of stalling top prospect playing time. I don't see how that gets any better with, with Juan Franco. Uh I would love for him to be up sooner rather than later, but it's not like he is going to uh you know John mentioned Juan Soto earlier. Juan Soto is amazing. I would love for Franco to come up and do what Juan Soto's done at the major league level at the same age, um, but I don't see it happening this year. I think if Franco's going to be one of those guys that people are overdrafting with, he'll be up this year uh, and you're going to end up feeling disappointed in the final production. I would love to be wrong. It just trends that way. And their track record of stalling playing time uh, every time at the, Oh, it's not going to, they're not going to do it with this guy. They're not going to do it with this guy. <laughs> but they do it with this guy. Then I'm going to say the same thing about Vito Brujan as well. Love Vito Brujan. Uh, But it's, you know, they're going to have to get this t- talent to the major league level sooner rather than later, um, and they're going to be fun guys to watch. But I'm just worried that a lot of people are going to be disappointed with what they get out of Franco this year. And then, meanwhile, there's Taylor Walls hanging out there um, who profiles as the type of guy this club likes to bring up and keep around.
0: John, what are your thoughts
2: on Franco? Um oh wait, hold on, let me add Taylor walls on my best ball cue right uh, and and you know' we're, I'm laughing, but it, it's really the truth that there's a there's a really actionable lesson here and it has to do with what we were just talking about about assuming you know the risk on these guys just blindly assuming risk. Wanda Franco a top prospect. it says it right here at baseball prospectus and other respected you know inimitable uh, content creators. and it turns out that look, that may not be your, your, your pathway. Um, I already said I'm a bit of a conservative drafter, but I also like to spread my ownership, like I said, while understanding Franco has this high ceiling. So I've only drafted Wanda Franco with Willie Adamez as a pair, like on a turn, let's say. Again, keeping my eyes down range, thinking, man, maybe as a combination platter, you know, these two guys are a shoe in for the plate appearances, and hopefully the subsequent production. You know, Adamas being one of the only guys you can assume, or before this season, let's say 575 plate appearances on the Rays, which is a very hard feat to get, but Adamas is that guy. So, I mean, he's good defensively, he's good enough offensively. It's kind of hard to see them just kind of discarding him. So I didn't want to just go Franco, afraid to take the goose egg. I thought if I paired them both, I had a sure thing, and now... Oh, that word sure thing is anything but I would say.
0: Yeah, I mean, the problem with Franco is we just don't know when he's going to be up. I do also have some concerns that he's going to be maybe not the fantasy goodness that people expect once he is up. We we heard about the concerns about his launch angle and exit velocity at the uh, alternate site last year. I still think he's going to be a very good player, but I I just don't know if he's going to be the first round talent that maybe... Some people in dynasty leagues have been kind of expecting uh, and giving up a pretty penny to get in the future. Uh, that being said, if we're, if we're talking about this year, I just don't know when he's going to be up. I've taken some shots on him in a few leagues, but it's very few. Uh, and it's on leagues where I feel like my depth is really, really good already. So, you know, we're talking about the 50-round draft and holds the, the, the best ball leagues where you've got these large rosters. But if you take a shot on Franco, then you can't go take a shot on guys like Mackenzie Gore. You can't go take a shot on the guys that aren't going to be up, the Dalton Var shows that aren't going to be up on opening day because you can't risk taking those zeros. Like I said, in those deeper leagues.
1: And I would say you know, the three guys we talked about with between Walls, Bruhan, and and Franco. That Franco at the end of the season could have the lowest fantasy value of the mm-hmm. three of those because the diff the other difference is like Brujan runs. I mean, Brujan, he's a guy that's yeah. he, he stole forty eight bases in the minors in two thousand nineteen. So it's like for fantasy purposes, yeah, there's a there's a scenario on the spectrum of possibilities where Franco has the lowest fantasy value at season's end of all three guys.
0: All right. Uh, I'm going to cut off one of the questions on Sharon Apostle. I'll I'll just say something quick on him. I really like him as a talent. I think he's going to have a fantasy value at some point in the future. I just don't know that it's going to be 2021 because, uh, when their general managers asked about him and Josh Jung, uh, they, he skipped right over Apostle. Uh, and, uh, and it sounds, it seems like he's kind of been buried a little bit. I think he gets up at some point, maybe late in the season or next year, but uh, unless you guys have a really strong opinion on Sheridan Apostle for for 2021, uh, let's just move on to the next one.
1: He needs time to fully bake. He has not had he got the time last year because they had to throw somebody up, but we're talking about a guy who hasn't taken a swing in double-A or triple-A. He needs more time to cook.
0: Yeah. All right. uh, Let's uh, finish our last question. Uh, That is, who are your favorite relief pitchers for holds who will eventually have a shot at closing there, Jason?
1: Ah, uh, holds. I you know, there's a couple of guys that I, I've liked this offseason, uh, depending on where the roles are gonna play. Uh, you know, you made fun of me talking about Julian Merriweather uh, the other day, but we don't know. Uh again, watch him pitch. I don't know what his role is gonna be in Toronto, uh, but I really do like the stuff and how it can play out. Tanner Scott with Baltimore. Uh, I think Tanner Scott could end up being the closer there at some point. I mean, he's got really good stuff. Uh, there, I do want to see how the the Cardinals are going to end up using Alex Reyes. Uh, in that regard, uh, Scott Barlow with Kansas City, we don't know how the Greg Holland, Josh Stomet, or, or, or Scott Barlow situation is going to play out. But I would say Barlow is the lowest ranked of those three pitchers. Uh, but I think the case can be made, he may be the best of the three um, with that. And then Robert Stevenson with with Colorado uh like him as a rebound uh situation and you know god forbid daniel bard falls back into the 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 stuff that derailed his career somebody's got to step up there and i do like stevenson as a rebound candidate so those are some of the like late deep names that come to mind that i'm interested in uh in some of those leagues where you got to dip down into the into the 30th and 40th rounds john who are the guys you've got uh in
0: holds leagues uh, or might get holds, uh, might get saves later on as well?
2: Yeah, I think this is a great question, because we're all trying to parse out where these other saves are going to go, right? There's less solid closers. So I think a gold standard, you're going to have to pay for probably Zach Britton, because if something happens to Chapman, you're talking about having a clear RP1. Then if we kind of move down the landscape, uh, maybe Ottavino for the Red Sox, if you believe, I believe Barnes has the role, he was good in it, But Adevino was probably going to be, you know, nipping at his heels. Uh, I have a bit of Stevenson on the Rockies, as terrifying as that is to pitch in Colorado. Um, I I like, I have another deep one. I have Cesar Valdez on the Orioles. I know people are in love with Hunter Harvey. We really mean Valdez was really sharp at the end of last year. And I think he even collected a couple saves. So. The Orioles are really not. I think and then maybe lastly for the Rays, um, I think Fairbanks is a guy who could kind of end up with 12 to 15 saves on the sneak. You know, I know he asks holds, but to me, right, holds guys are in the environment. So I think that's a, that's a few of them. Okay, I've got a
0: few names as well. Um, you know, Josh Stamont could end up getting saves after the Royals maybe trade uh, Greg Holland uh kind of at the midway point and he is just a dynamite reliever um yeah uh nick whitgren could end up getting saves in cleveland uh i know a lot of people are on the uh the Krencheck, uh bandwagon but i don't necessarily know that he's gonna be uh the guy or the guy for the whole season uh jonathan hernandez mm-hmm. in texas is another guy who uh has you know, uh some interest in terms of guy who's probably gonna get holds but could end up getting saves, especially if we don't know what the health uh of Jose LeClerc is. I mean he battled injury last year. Uh guy like um Wick in uh in Chicago. I mean Chicago, uh the Cubs look like they're gonna be trading a lot of their guys. If they can get a taker for uh Craig Kimbrell, uh, Wick could be the first man up there. Uh Stefan Crichton um, he was the guy everybody thought was going to be the closer in Arizona. They signed uh, Joaquin Soria. The Dimebacks aren't going to be competing, and they could easily trade Soria midseason, uh, and Crichton gets that job back. Um, I think that's about it that I can think of. Oh, oh, Yimmy Garcia. I mean, yeah, a lot of people were really, really stoked on Yimmy Garcia and then got their uh, dreams dashed by Anthony Bass, uh, signing there, I think Bass is the man to start the season, but Garcia is a really, really interesting arm. And if Bass falters or gets hurt, he could easily be the first man up there.
1: Yeah, I agree there. I think of all the names we mentioned, I, I didn't look at ADP, I would say that Hernandez is probably the highest ranked because he seems to have <clears throat> the least amount of friction to get to a full time closer role. I mean, Leclerc. We thought he was going to have it last year, lost it really quickly. Same thing can happen again. Hernandez has looked really good in his role. I mean, Texas saw enough to trade away Rafael Montero uh, and clear even more uh, brush out of the way for Hernandez to take a step forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's whenever I'm looking at guys like this, I look at first, like, who's who's the shakiest uh, or who I feel is the shakiest closer, and then I'm looking mm-hmm. at the guys who are, you know, the the seventh inning, eighth inning guys there. And then I look for places where guys can be traded. So, teams that don't seem like they're going to be competitive or that could easily fall out of it early on, you know, those are the guys uh, that I start to target as well. And then just be really fluid in season. So, obviously, in drafted holds, best balls, you can't do that because you're stuck with the roster you got. And those are, you know, the names that we threw out there are the ones you want to kind of invest in. But in your regular leagues, just be on top of kind of. Who are the guys throwing in the eighth innings, in the seventh innings for individual teams where you think, you know, one injury or a trade could uh, maybe pop them up there? All right.
2: In, that, in you know, Justin, just to that point, I've won those kind of eighth inning only numbers in season, and that may be a tip for people who are who are kind of all uh, John alongs. I didn't mean to... to to cut in, but I, I know I've never been identified guys in season you might not know about, and that might have brought you to a spot when he's first coming in and lighting up the world or like Devin Williams or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we have a great uh, recurring piece that I think is pretty much daily over on Fangraphs. Uh, the, the, uh, the bullpen, uh, I'm blanking on the name of it right now, uh, you know, it, it comes out every night. And uh oh, the bullpen report It comes out every night. It really highlights the guys you know who are closing the guys who might be in trouble, the guys who might be next man up. uh Greg Jewett does a lot of great work over at fantasy Alarm uh, and on his own kind of uh bullpen blog that he has got so he's a really good person to go follow on Twitter as well uh, for a lot of those uh bullpen uh, kind of pieces that maybe other people aren't seeing. All right, uh, that's gonna do it for this episode. John, thank you for
2: joining us. That was awesome, man. I hope I hung out. You know, I try to do my best to hang with the big boys. I hope I did a good job, man.
0: You did fantastic. And it's always great to talk to you because, like I said at the beginning, you were probably the most energetic fantasy analyst I know Uh, and you, you bring that energy, but you also bring the information. So I always appreciate talking to you. I'm glad we could get that little, uh, fantasy, uh, bucket list item off your list so you can go attain the other ones, uh, that were obviously much, much more important, but, uh, why don't you remind people where you can reach on social media and then plug everything you do.
2: Yes, I'm at MLB Moving Averages on the Twitter machine, just doing it all. I mean, I hate to brag, but I put a lot of work into it. Check out the timeline and just kind of scroll through it. There's a ton of really good nuggets. I do some deep deep, deep dives for best ball guys. I do some, like, stat covers. I'm always in the same place at the same time. And... I'm um, about halfway through all of my position articles at FTNFantasy.com, which is free. Check it out. And then they go into a podcast. Check that out. Rate r- 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 subscribe, and All that stuff. And please, you know, any like that I said or did like that I said, uh, I want to hear what people have to say. Because I actually want to change my mind. Because if I change my mind, it means I learned something. So just last thing, guys, I can't thank you enough Really, really, really thank you. I saved this one. It's going to be on the iPhone forever. <laughs> Great. Jason, remind people where you can reach on social media and then plug
0: everything
1: you got going on. Uh, yeah, at Jason Collett on the Twitter machine. Uh, I'm wrapping up the the Bold Prediction series, the RotoWire wire Collette Calls, uh, so the NL East will go live uh, probably Tuesday. Uh, And that will be it. So that gives you 30 hitters and 30 pitchers to then leverage against me um, in your uh, in our common drafts or if we're not in one to use in yours. Uh, And uh, really enjoy doing that series and then uh, time for spring training uh, with that. So it's been uh, wrapping down the busiest part of the offseason writing between getting the stuff for the Rotowire magazine. Uh, written up and then uh, this bold prediction series, but uh, I'm ready for uh, the, the sporting gap in my TV to be filled with baseball. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you can reach me on Twitter at Justin Mason, FWFB. Uh, I'm writing pretty much daily over on Fan Graphs uh, right now. I also write at Friends of Fancy Benefits. Uh, you can listen to the po- obviously this podcast, Sleeper in the Bus, but I also do uh, podcasts uh, over at Friends of Fancy Benefits. Uh, we just wrapped up uh pretty much 30 podcasts in 30 days doing every team preview and now we're kind of into our regular rotation of uh episodes uh talking player strategy all that good stuff uh and then the TGFBI podcast is going to be launch it, or relaunching again here this next week with a really really cool different thing that you know, I know someone in the industry was all like, don't say nobody does, you know, certain things uh, on podcasts because so many podcasts out there. I'm doing something nobody else is doing starting next week. Uh, and so it's uh, <laughs> John already knows what it is. I'll tell Jason when we get off air, but no one's going to be doing the thing I'm going to be doing for the next couple of weeks over on the TGFBI podcast. So You're going to want to go subscribe to that uh and uh and listen uh you can definitely uh uh join our patreon lots of cool things we're going to be doing over there over the course of the rest of draft season and throughout the regular season um and then uh yeah oh yeah uh potapalooza coming up in two weeks uh you can donate for that get a raffle ticket Uh, For every dollar that you donate, justinmasonfantasy at gmail.com is the PayPal. At Justin Salinger is the Venmo uh, for that if you want to donate. Going to be a lot of cool prizes. Going to go, I think, eight hours a day for two days on the last weekend of February, which leads right up to the launch of TGFBI on March 1st. All right, that is going to do it for us, for Jason, John, and myself. Thank you for listening. Have a fantastic baseball season.